0: Whatever you say is etched in stone. Or at least when I was doing the little research that I did. Do you agree? I do. We have to be able to hear you.
1: Okay, this could go really bad. Or really good.
0: I am I am unconcerned. Okay. It's episode 99 of the Ed Tech Loop podcast. My name is Larry Burden, and she still hasn't figured out how the zombies got into her Minecraft castle. It's Danielle Brostrom. And at long last, our quest is complete as we joyously welcome TCAP STEM curriculum leader, Heidi Skodek, and I know you have many other titles, but we're just gonna stick with that one. Through a process of trial and error, I have crafted this week's Moment of Zen. I have been impressed with the urgency of doing. Knowing is not enough, we must apply. Being willing is not enough, we must do little Leonardo da Vinci for you there, we've eliminated all the unnecessary ingredients so we could truly appreciate the flavor of this week's meat of the show, Hour of Code. So every year, somehow when we do these podcasts, we make mention of the Hour of Code. We kind of, this is a really cool thing, we should get involved, and after the podcast where we've mentioned it, we go, next year! We need to have somebody on to discuss this before the Hour of Code so that we can get more people involved. So this year, we have the person that knows it all.
1: Definitely not the case. (laughs)
0: Definitely
1: not the case. Nobody can know
0: it. I was talking about Danielle.
1: (laughs) Perfect. No.
0: No.
2: We can dive right in, though. All right. Dive right in. I
0: know you have a bunch of questions, and I'm going to throw a lot. I was mentioning to Danielle before the podcast that this is. um, I'm looking for some marketing materials here because I have a daughter that's about ready to go off into college, who's a maker, but doesn't really realize that she's a maker. And I've been trying for years to get her involved a little bit more involved in, and we were discussing this earlier, computer sciences, computer programming, STEM coding, whatever we want to call it. So I'm going to use all these materials, all the things that we're getting today on her. So that, that's perfect. You have
1: the sleeper makers are the best. They don't realize they like STEM and computer science until they've actually um, gone and done job experiences or job shadows with other people to realize what they actually love to do is create and make in, in the space called really STEM.
2: So why, why are colleges and businesses, the workforce, why are we pushing kids to do STEM? Why are they looking for kids that are interested in STEM?
1: There's a long answer and a short answer to that. The short answer really is that the jobs of the future really are going to be related to computer science and science, technology, engineering and math and how those you bring together to actually develop careers based on those things. So. Computer scientist is one area that is a big push right now. They talk about at code.org, they talk about um, the different areas and careers that you can go into related to STEM. So
0: again, huge researcher, me, not really. It seems like there is a, a, a giant gap in what industries need, what our job force, what, what is needed in the job force, and what we are actually um, preparing kids for. How are we setting up kids you know through the hour of code? And through our programming in our classrooms, how are we setting kids up to be introduced to coding or computer science?
1: Well, I think we have a lot of work to do. We certainly aren't where we need to be K through 12, and and it's a difficult task because you're really thinking about things and jobs of the future that don't exist yet. So that's that's a big hurdle to overcome, but getting students exposed at the earliest age, kindergarten, first grade, second grade, you know, that's where it all starts. And uh, jobs of the future, um, if you're at all in tune with things that are happening in Traverse City, there's uh, you know a group called TC Connect, which is now joined up with the um, Chamber of Commerce. Um, to talk about where the jobs are going to be in the future in Traverse City. And their goal really is to bring high tech jobs back to Traverse City so our boomerang students or kids, right, who go off to college and get or have education in the area of computer science, programming, anything STEM, when they come back, they have jobs. And so they recognize the need, our local need, for building that capacity in our students, and it has to start in K through 12. So, how do we build that capacity at a young age? Which means, building capacity of the teachers to recognize the importance of um, implementing some STEM-based activities and computer science activities in the classroom starting in kindergarten.
2: Do you think it's a do you think it's a hard sell or do you think it's an easy sell? Like when you go out and talk to teachers about um this the new kinds of skills that our students need, do you are teachers nodding and being like, Yeah, let let's do it, let's go, or do they have some hesitations? Can you talk about that?
1: I don't think I've run into anybody who has said Do we really need that? That's crazy. You know, that's crazy. (laughs) Yes, exactly. But I do run into apprehension because... When, I mean, we're going to talk about really, um, you know, hour of code. I do run into some pushback in, I don't know how to code. How can I teach my kid? I have no experience at all in computer science or coding. How how am I going to be able to teach that to my students? And so that's really what the conversation, that's where you get pushback from is, how can I do it? I've never done it myself. Because as a teacher, you always want to be the expert in the room. While those days are kind of gone, you have to be sometimes learning with the students on new ideas and especially related to computer science.
0: I have a weird question. And this is this kind of came to me right before the podcast. It's odd because when I was in high school a millennia ago, um, there was a computer programming class. We had to take computer programming. It was just it was one of those things we think this is going to be important. So we learned how to like, you know, do the if and then type of statements and it was really, really basic. And then it seemed to like drop off the map for a while. And obviously now it's starting to be a, starting to become re ingrained in what we do. But why did it between the late or early nineties and now there was a a gap where it I mean it was always it's kind of there, but as far as a priority, a curricular priority, I don't think it was there.
1: That is absolutely true what happened. I mean, I was one of those like Oregon Trail, right? Yeah, <laughs> so we did it, yeah. like elementary oh, school. Right. <laughs> so, um, but I do, I do think there in, in the past, you know, in the 90s, um, people were using coding to do very particular jobs, right? And now everything you touch a lot of times has some sort of um, coding in it. I mean, think about your cars or your phones. I mean, that was prior to cell phones, really, That where everybody had a cell phone. So the technology that's been de- developed and just the amount of coding, Code that's needed to run those devices and those different things has completely changed. So before it would be something large, like, you know, when you're thinking about NASA, right? They're going to use, we, we would expect to see a bunch of coding in the nineties, but we didn't expect all those personal devices and, um, how rapidly the technology changed for the demand for that coding piece. And I also think it is part of that maker movement when um, you're able to go online and YouTube questions and answers on what you're trying to do yourself and to try to problem solve those things and do coding yourself. You can find thousands of websites that actually teach coding to all age groups.
2: That is the most amazing piece of this. My um, nine-year-old wants an alarm for her bedroom door for Christmas that can keep her sister out. And um, I I can go. She's going to make it, right? (laughs) Exactly. That's the thing. (laughs) Uh, Because, of course, that's what she wants. But we can buy one for like $40 on Amazon. And it's this kid-friendly blah, blah, blah that has a swipe card and stuff. Or I just Googled how to do it and found awesome instructions that were in plain English with items I can go purchase right here. And I'm just going to give her a box of stuff, and she's going to build it, and she's going to code it. Like, we can we can get the Raspberry Pi. We can do all these things that can make things happen. And I think that's exciting for kids, and that's exciting for us. And it's, it's incredible to me the amount of what you can do yourself, and really. Just the
1: language, like, Raspberry Pi right yeah. a lot of parents are like a kid will ask for a raspberry pie and they're like that's sure. an easy <laughs> guess i'm gonna run down to grand travers pie company and pick up a we can raspberry
2: get one of those pie. too but we <laughs>
1: just
0: had one of those a couple days ago for thanksgiving it was fabulous yes
1: and, and so that's the interesting piece is uh that language sometimes there's a language barrier between um, kids and their parents and a lot of times they're purchasing things for their students that are related to technology and coding and computer science that they know nothing about. They recognize very clearly the need for, you know, exposing their students to um, new and different things related to those areas, but a lot of times they don't know anything about it. So it's it's scary because there's a technology piece, like a lot of times what you deal with, Danielle, balanced with, dude, they're asking for something about STEM and computer science. Tell me what else you want. (laughs)
2: Yes, yes. So you mentioned um, the apprehension and not completely knowing everything. And I totally see that when I'm out working with teachers. So tell us why the Hour of Code is such a perfect introduction. I'm such a perfect vehicle for teachers to do this.
1: So the Hour of Code um, walks teachers with zero or anybody for that matter because I mean part of the goal is to get the teachers interested with their students. The other is how do we engage parents to do the Hour of Code at home so they can actually see um, not only how easy it is but the resources that are available for them to help their students in the future. So Hour of Code is a step-by-step small little videos that um, if you're in the lower... L grades. You could show the video on your screen and then do the steps with the students on their own devices that they have, um, but really walks them through step by step and engaging things. So then the new one really this year, or maybe it was out last year, is dance party. So everyone likes dance party because students get to develop a character that does certain dance moves you can make it dab right old
2: town road i may have been doing in my office this morning it happens You
1: (laughs) you can select you know is it a bear is it a frog and then um select the music that um the frog will dance to and um really walks them through the process of movement and using block coding which is really the basic beginning part of coding is drag and drop So it really very descript tells you exactly what is going to happen and then you select features and then you drag and drop to take those blocks in. Put them into a program. So it does give you the option if you're more advanced to actually see the code that's actually spitting out because you and I remember the days of, you know, what code looked like is very different. Block coding wasn't around and you were actually typing all those things in and putting, you know, your pseudo code next to it so the next person who comes behind you knows what you were coding. So um, very different, very accessible, drag and drop clicks. If you don't get it right, there's a helper at the top that you can click on and it will walk you through the steps to fix your programming if it doesn't work. Typically, uh, you can do an under hour a lot of times if you have, um, if you little kids a lot of times play with video games and things like that. So it might take you under an hour to do it usually kids are faster than the teachers when the teachers are just learning but um everybody has fun jamie mccall's gonna do a little coding session for us do we want to show how easy it is i'm gonna see if i can recruit some a couple principals if she Um, can do
0: it everybody can do it yes Sorry, Jamie.
1: Sorry. <laughs> so just to, just to show people with no experience have gone in and done a lesson on coding in an hour or less. And just that exposure um, to just that process, that thinking process of what do I want to do? You have to really think about what your end product is.
2: Code.org has done an amazing job of bringing in all these different Hour of Code resources. They aren't there aren't just you know four or five that you get to pick from. There really are maybe a hundred different so ones. So many, yes. Yep, and some are unplugged, so some don't use any devices. There's some some really really basic ones that are great for pre-readers where they're just moving along, um, and then there's like like Heidi mentioned the ones that are all the way where you can actually write the code and you can actually develop your own app or create something from scratch. I think the the amount of options that are there can sometimes be overwhelming too but as a teacher I just grabbed one and started playing it and was like oh this one would be great for my kids and like that that's an easy way to to kind of get started and I cannot stress how user-friendly the products are too because I've been in a classroom with kids and the kids are like I'm stuck I don't know where to go and I look at it and I have no idea where to go and I can't figure out what the problem is and I just ask I'm like, "Hey." Anyone got puzzle eight on the Star Wars one, and then some kid comes over and helps them, and I'm like, whew, <laughs> yes, I don't have to do that one." But um, just to see the kids persevere and get help from their neighbors, like there's there's so many good skills that are happening when kids are doing this hour of code.
0: Can't stress this enough, pre-reader. This is for every mm-hmm. single classroom every single in any classroom. school district, even. Without a device, I was talking to my wife this morning about Hour of Code. She has a toddler classroom. Yes. I'm pretty sure there's probably something for your classroom. Yes, there is. pre toddler, toddler, all the way to your seniors, every classroom in the school district could be doing something involving Hour of Code. That's so cool.
1: And that is just a drop in the bucket. I mean, Hour of Code is a drop in a bucket, but it really could um, spur some interest in other things for the students. So um, well worth it. So, I mean, that's why we want to really blow up Hour of Code, create a little competition. I know really it's a joint collaboration between, you know, STEM and the technology department to be able to um, support teachers as they attempt to do the Hour of Code with their students. So I'm really excited about it.
0: So I have a question. How do we embed... STEM education. This is, the big, this is the big question. This is the so hard I'm going, I'm hard going right in there. How do we embed STEM education in our curriculum, especially in that lower L, upper L area? You know, we have classes and we're developing more classes in our high schools and our middle schools. I don't think we've got enough really mm-hmm. to, and I don't think it's it's mandated the way it, we would probably really need it to be for it to be successful, as successful as it should be. And our public schools, but I really think due to time constraints or, Mm -hmm. again, some mandates, what can we do to get it more embedded in our curriculum in those elementary years? Big question.
1: Well, that that is a big question. I thought you had the answer to that. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, <so.
0: laughs> Way above my favorite. We
2: promised you not a difficult question, Larry. So
1: um, that actually is an excellent question. It's one that we have struggled with for a long time because of the time constraints, especially elementary. So one of the biggest things that came into play was um, if we're, we're talking about our math and ELA, there's a little bit of a hierarchy to, you know, core curriculum. So a lot of times ELA and math gets the majority of the time that teachers spend. And then science and social studies. And um, the question is, is where does STEM fit in? Because STEM stands for science, technology, engineering, and math. And it's not those individually. It's the collaboration of all together, right? So where do we find places in the curriculum that already exist where we can make sure that we're identifying and um, emphasizing those STEM activities that are taking place? it's really project-based hands-on learning and the integration of all of that together and so the biggest question we had is how are we going to fit it in our answer right now is that we are implementing the foss science curriculum right we're trying to kill two birds with one stone because foss has stem embedded activities within the foss program and so it's not only teaching science but the students in their activities are incorporating those stem pieces in there so we're not only covering topics within um how you do a project-based learning related to stem but we're also covering our science standards within there and so our avenue right now is using the foss curriculum to embed some of those stem activities because I was constantly brought back to the fact that we can do all these outside STEM activities, robotics, tech girls, you know, recycle racers and the things that we offer in the district. But our goal is to reach every single student. And how do we give every single student an opportunity? Science and FOSS was the solution because it actually embedded it and we could use it all at the same time. Really, that was a passion. How can we include it? where a kid's going to see it every day. So right now we have it rolled into fourth and fifth grade. Third try, we'll get it rolled into the FOSS science curriculum into third grade. So we'll have third, fourth, and fifth grade with um, FOSS science and embedded STEM curriculum within those uh, units of study for the students. So not a full fix yet, but at least we know that we're at least getting it to every student in um, third, fourth, and fifth grade.
0: Definite step in the right direction.
2: This kind of a transformation isn't going to move as quickly as we want it to. It just isn't because it's so very different and you are talking about more of the project-based learning and the making and that's it's just very different. So I think it's okay to work slowly in that respect.
1: And Daniel, you and I have had many conversations about silos and breaking mm-hmm. down those silos and That's hard. It's when those pieces happen when all those are coming together that you see awesome results and excitement in students for learning as well as a deeper understanding because they have the application
0: it could be argued that the stem curriculum is already there it's the stem mindset and the stem activities in the curriculum that isn't there so really it is it's just finding it's finding curriculum that has that that maker mindset involved it's finding that math curriculum or incorporating a making mindset into the current math, math curriculum that will bring stem into mm-hmm. what we do in the classroom.
1: And we'll get into it later, I think, when we talk about computational thinking. And, mm-hmm. and those are all aspects of things we want students to experience and do. But it's about how you're doing that together as one, instead of, I'm just going to do math, I'm just going to do science, I'm just going to do tech. It's when they all come together.
2: And that's where our worlds overlap because that's 100% what those SD standards are about, and specifically,
0: great segue.
2: I know, right? I was was already going to talk about the computational thinking stuff, but but yeah, computational thinking is a big part of those SD standards. So even if the kids don't go into coding, when they're learning to code, they're being a better thinker and they're breaking up problems into simpler parts and improving their designs over time. All those kinds of things are the core pieces of computational thinking but they're good to know no matter what you're doing right they're good everywhere no matter what industry you're in I mean I can't tell you how many times I'm not coding but I'm definitely trying to solve problems and changing up my plan because that didn't work
1: right whether you're on the side of doing the coding or on the other side where you're actually operating the machine that has all the coding in it i mean there has to be that thought process of you know what is happening when a problem occurs you know what how do i solve that problem is it a call to tech right away for some support or is it something I problem solve myself? Because the, the tools that we're, even if you're not on the side of COVID, the tools that we're using are so high tech now you have to be able to have some of those problem solving skills built in no matter what your job is or where you are.
2: Can you talk to us about the new K-12 computer science standards? I'm so sure. excited about these yeah. and I know so, you are
1: too. So. <laughs> so computer science standards were adopted last year at the end of the year um, and those really require all students to have K-12 through um, computer science Um, experience. And again, it's designed around the same things, the ISTE standards, the STEM standards, getting more STEM into schools and computer science standards and what those look like. The good news is, is that as a state, we recognize the importance of it. Are we ahead of the game? Not at all. I don't think at all in Michigan, as far as computer science goes, but we're getting there. And the point is we're doing it in the right direction. We have a couple things going on. I went to a computer science summit in um, Arkansas, believe it or not, So to myself, I said, really, there's a lot of computer science going on in Arkansas? Go check it out. Yeah, go check it out. So I went in, and it really was a summit from all the governors throughout the United States that were there and talked about what programs they were implementing and what kind of funding they had behind the support. And Hattie was there to um, talk to us, had a good chat with him. And I was really interested in how far ahead, Arkansas was, um, South Carolina was, in their implementation of computer science standards. But one of the things that was critical was the piece that number one, you had adopted standards in your state, and the second piece is that they had somebody leading it at the state level, which is coming as well. That's coming next is where we will have a person that actually leads what is the implementation of computer science gonna look like in schools, and what resources do we have available? Because we know, Sometimes we get mandates and we don't necessarily have all the resources, but it's how we respond to what is coming that really makes a difference. So I think um, our attempt at blowing up Code.org or blowing up Hour of Code this year will will put a little bit of dent in it. But um, the standards are very clearly outlined and they're very simple at the elementary levels. But it really is about the process of thinking and problem solving. It's going to be great, but it's also going to we have to again adjust and adapt to how is that going to fit in the curriculum do we force it in somewhere so it's really about again intentionally looking at what is already offered where does it naturally make sense to put lessons in computer science in um, k through 12 and starting to think about it before we have some sort of mandate as far as what that's going to look like that work excites me um, simply because it's good for kids and you're looking for ways to give them more exposure
2: And Heidi, I have to say too, I'm so excited to see the Digital Citizenship portions in cybersecurity written into those um, K-12 computer science standards. Because even in, I'm looking at the lower elementary standards right now, and they're talking about networks in the internet. Explain what passwords are and why we use them and why we have to strong passwords to protect our devices. Like, yes! And then um, there's, under impacts of computing, work respectfully and responsibly with others online. Keep login information private. Log off devices appropriately. Like, all those things we talk about in the digital citizenship realm, I'm seeing embedded in these standards too which is beautiful
1: Mm -hmm. I mean that becomes just a way we do business
0: if you're going to teach computer science you probably should teach how to or teach our students how to do it appropriately
1: and how to do it it safely yeah that's
0: a foundational Mm -hmm. foundational piece Mm -hmm. we were talking about definitions earlier so now you know we've dropped computer science and computer programming and stem Mm -hmm. and all these things encoding they're all separate things what are some of those definitions when we talk computer science? What are we What are we saying?
2: I get them all mixed up. I'll
1: be honest. <laughs> well, I, you know, it, help us, Heidi. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I have the answer. to that. Well, see. well so I, I would say you know computer science is um, the broader picture, right? Computer science really encompasses all those different areas and jobs and activities, like the umbrella that then coding and programming you know would be under. Mm-hmm. That's how I would probably define it. I
0: think it's important to say that because I think sometimes especially our students and maybe even our parents have a they see computer science and they immediately think okay this is calc 3 mm-hmm. minimum mm-hmm. we were talking about the fear of math that we're trying to get <gasps> over.
1: And I think What is that? I don't know what that <laughs> is.
0: <laughs> um, and and I think sometimes when when we say computer science people immediately go there. And that's not, it's so much more than that. A softening of a, that definition for people that are looking, again, I'm, I'm looking at marketing to my child. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm thinking, if I say, well, honey, you need to pursue a career in computer science, that's probably- Think of
2: nerds behind their computer. <laughs>
0: yeah,
2: that's probably not
0: successful sell. But then if I t- start talking about what coding means and what uh, programming means and what work in a 3D realm means and all the all the potential applications of computer science, suddenly that's a lot shinier.
1: I think a lot of times when you think of it related to careers, so if you take those that language out of there, I mean, not that you have to, but if you take the language out of there about coding and computer science, but if, if you're working with students and you're talking about what are you interested in for your careers? And connecting those pathways of how is computer science embedded in those careers that you think you want to do? That's where you get kids connected. You know, if you talk about computer science or coding, they picture somebody in a cube farm all day just doing coding. That's not what it is. You know, computer science could be thousands and thousands of careers related to computer science that people don't realize that that are there. I mean, I, I think about the engineering classes at West and at Central. And even in their... Um, Laser cutting machines and their small CNC machines that they have, that's all computer programming. So the person that's operating that and designing, doing the design and the making, and making decisions on where should that piece be cut out, how deep should the cut be, and what is the location on the X, Y, and Z axis, that's all... That's all related to computer science and coding. So I think when you have it in the conversations of careers and then talk about how those computer science principles are linked to those, then that kind of breaks down a few barriers than the picture of somebody sitting in a cube farm coding.
2: I think the more we can lean on their passions, too, and then help show them. How, how they can connect um, again I think of my own child who her passions are animals and taking things apart and creating things and then I watched her she was reading that um, that Beauty in the Beak book where they 3D print the the beak for the eagle who doesn't have one or it gets broken mm-hmm. or somehow and I remember seeing her eyes lit up and she was like I could do this and it was like yes yes you could so just sometimes it's connecting those dots for kids because they don't realize that their passion for dance could go along with this really cool thing where they're coating the led lights on the dance you know what i mean mm-hmm, It just
1: mm-hmm.
2: just connecting those and dots prosthetics, for kids. you know the
1: design yeah. of prosthetics is which what you're talking about yes. which has been that field has completely changed because if you remember and this i always found this interesting because i thought god if i was going to do school again that would be very <laughs> interesting to me right you know when you think about prosthetics that were done in the 90s right compared to what we see now it's basically an Artistry that they do—it's out of chrome and different materials and metals, and and the design is in that art piece. That design piece is an element that is seen throughout, as well as materials. I mean, that science behind behind the materials that they're choosing. I mean, if you're running in the Paralympics, we see um, the different things that they use there, but. Just that change in it's not only functional, but it's aesthetically pleasing, and you're making decisions on materials and design. So, um, that area was always of interest to me because um, that has changed so rapidly lately.
2: There's your A, Larry.
0: Well, uh, I was going to up. Steam. So, mm-hmm. so, what subjects, this is in, on code.org, their little uh, marketing uh, slideshow had a mm-hmm. slide. What subjects do students like a lot? in high school. Not surprisingly, um, the highest was um, art and design, second was performing arts, third, computer science and engineering. Now, I would argue art and design Mm -hmm. right now is computer science. Mm -hmm. If you're going to get into the field of art and design, well, not even behind. I mean, if you're doing, um, and certainly in performing arts, if you're doing anything in, in theater in the background or in film in the background, you're going to do 3D modeling, mm-hmm. you, you, you're going to. It's all programming now, it's all computer science, it's all understanding those processes. If you're in computer gaming and doing the art for that, 3D modeling, 3D rendering, art and design and performing arts, just wrap that into the computer sciences, really. It doesn't sound as in, sexy. In,
1: yes, and in, in, even in architecture, the flip time and the expectation of time to get a set of plans done and do that modeling, that visualization modeling completely changed. You know, you used to have weeks in between and now the expectation because we have all these tools because of computer science um, that we're able to use and do projects more quickly, right? So now we're spending our money on technology and our time is decreasing, but the expectation is increasing of what the expectations are. Same thing in theater arts, when you're designing those uh, stagecraft and the theater sets design, that they, those they sets are now. done all ahead of time, including like how they're going to work. So those movable pieces, like what do mm. those gears look like and how is that rotating? So more time is spent on the pre-planning than it is on actually the design construct building. So that is all done ahead of time in the design process. That's amazing.
2: Heidi, are we still seeing a gap in the amount of girls and minorities that are going into... STEM fields and doing coding, or is that kind of changing, do you think?
1: It is changing. We're doing better, but we're still not there yet. Females and minorities in general, you know, to increase enrollment and excitement about going into those fields is super important. To have those diverse conversations with different people at the table is super important. So the more we can um, help students or guide them in that direction, you know, you don't want to force somebody, you know, to do it, but certainly, You have to make sure that they had an opportunity to make that choice.
2: For sure. An
0: educated choice.
1: Yes.
2: And girls will typically look at coding in different ways, too. Like, isn't it true that they'll try to fix a problem or try to um, create something that will make a difference? Like, that's kind of what usually brings girls to the table. We need those kinds of... Of students, and I love what you're doing with Tech Girls. Can you talk about Tech Girls real quick? Because sure. I think that's a, such a cool thing that sure. we're doing in our region.
1: Tech Girls, um, I actually started a group when I was in Farmington, but we started a group up here at Central in 2016, and their mission really is to increase awareness for um, females and minorities in anything related to STEM and they won a, um, a grant last year to allow them to expand to west senior high they reached out to elk rapids and did a lesson with a second grade class within the community they volunteer at a senior citizen center helping them with their technology um, they've done recycle racers with our kids at eastern and then throughout the district last year um, but really their mission is to um, You know, really build that mentorship so so important for them to see young women in those roles of leaders that are leading those areas of technology and in STEM and to know that there's a pathway for them moving forward. One of our tech girls, actually, uh, you probably already heard the news on her last year was Elizabeth Saunders won the um, Congressional App Award. Um, and went to Washington, D.C. based on an app that she designed. And her app, of course, right, about helping people. So hers was the CalcuSaver, and you can actually download it online. And looks like a calculator, but if you're in a dangerous situation, you can punch in your numbers, looks like a calculator, and it will send a message to your person to say, you know, come and pick me up has a location sensor on it, you know, so they know where to pick you up and to call you back to get you out of that situation that you feel is uncomfortable or dangerous. So kudos to our tech girl. So we're still working to expand that. I mean, the goal would be lovely to have it at every school in the district, but slow growth there, but we're working on it. But you are,
2: I mean, you kind of do have it in every school because the littles see these high school girls that are, you know, it's a high schooler who's, who's do, interested in the same cool. kinds of things I am and they're so cool and I could do that. So, um, I, I mean, I know that they're just based at our secondaries, but man, the impact is so cool across the
0: district.
1: Getting there. And they're a great group of girls, and they volunteer for just about anything. And we can always count on them. So super proud of them.
0: I have to say last question if you have any other questions because we are
1: way over. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I was just going to say, is
2: there anything else that that we didn't touch on that that you want to share, that you want to talk about? Anything that you're like, oh, I wish they would have asked me that?
1: Um, Just that Hour of Code, the dates for the Hour of Code are December 9th through the third 15th, but we've actually extended it through the 18th. Just make sure you get in your hour of code and if there's any teachers that are interested or need help, contact Danielle or myself and we'll be happy to get them set up. Um, Our goal is to create a competition. We want to see how many east side versus west side we're able to do the coding and kind of have a leaderboard that's going to be on um, a website that we'll share with teachers and principals.
0: Sounds great. Tech tool of the week.
2: Tech Tool of the Week. Um, I just want to mention there are a ton of great resources for educators who are interested in doing um, coding in their classroom. Um, Code.org has the hourofcode.com. There are posters that you can download and hang up. There are stickers that you can order. Then all of the different activities and games and things. And then don't forget about REMC. Our local REMC has um, some different Items that you can do coding with. If you go into their system and search for STEM, you can get things like Bloxels, Dash and Dot, Little Bits, Ozobot, Sphero, and the Drone, all those kinds of things you can do coding with as well. And they're, they're, they're hands on. Um, and then uh, if you're not local, there are other REMCs who do different things. Some REMCs I know have MicroBits or um, the Osmos that you can check out that you can do coding with. But just definitely check and see what your REMC offers through that Classroom Makers Project because there are a lot of great resources over there.
0: You mentioned drones, and we should have hit on the drone thing. We'll get it next time. We'll get it next time. Um, tutorials and updates. Just wanted to say, you know, uh, last week we did that, the annual EdTech Loop gift guide. Mm. Some great STEM gifts. great STEM gifts uh, in that guide. So give that a listen, that pod a listen. It was a really fun show. Um, I wanted to uh, also give a shout out to an upcoming special 100th episode of the EdTech Loop podcast on uh, a digital citizenship. It is like a digital citizenship blowout has all the information, so uh, look for that um, in the upcoming weeks. Um, in closing, follow us on Facebook and Twitter @tcapsloop.
1: at
2: sloop At BrostromDA.
1: At skodak
0: Bam! Subscribe to the podcast on Podbean, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Downcast, Overcast, the Google Play Store, Spotify, or wherever else you get your ear candy. Leave a review. We love the feedback. Thanks
1: for listening and inspiring.
2: I can't see the time from where I'm sitting.